Welcome to another special episode of Africa State of Mind, a podcast about great Africans doing great things on the continent and around the globe. It is all about changing the narrative on Africa, owning our own stories and controlling them. The podcast is definitely about curating incredible African stories by Africans. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your suggestions and comments on our social media pages. Our social media pages, again, for those who just joined us, Facebook at Africa State of Mind, Twitter at Africa State Mind. Let's get straight into this episode. Welcome to Africa State of Mind. Thank you so much. Very good to be here. I'm very well. Thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You've been traveling around the world, uh, so I'm a little bit jealous, but it's fine. One day we'll catch up to you. uh, Well, you know, it's available to all of us. It's just uh, how audacious are your dreams, and uh, somehow they kind of create our uh, reality. So we're just going to dream bigger. Definitely. Be more courageous in your dreams. Now, um, John, I would like to talk to you just a little bit briefly about what a trend specialist is exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> trends are everywhere and there are different trends for different parts of the world and they're just not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. So what you want to do as a trend specialist is bring courage and clarity to the people that you are categorizing and contextualizing the trends for. Mm. And that's the whole point of it is how do you educate uh, board members and executives to make more courageous questions about their future and what you've got to do is tell them stories and the way you do that is you categorize and contextualize the trends to give them some sort of golden thread mm-hmm. and motivation to shift parts of their business based on what's going on around the world. I'll give you an example. Um, the Beers asked me to work with them on the future of diamonds and through the categorization and contextualization of trends, we showed them that a good 25 to 30% of the human population are not buying assets. And that mm. number is actually growing. Sure. And these people are all into experiences. So mm. the beers has got a shrinking market in that world. Mm. And so you've got these cities like San Francisco, Berlin, pockets of Cape Town, Amsterdam, pockets of Sydney. All of these consumers are underpinned by a mega trend called guilt-free consumption. Mm. Everything they do, the first question they ask is, what impact is this having on the world around me? Mm. And these people are with money, but then their idea of luxury is experience. Mm. So the question for De Beers must move from what is the future of diamonds to what is the future of luxury? Mm. And then how do we go about changing our behavior to be more focused on what the consumer wants and not so focused on our capability? Mm. Because our capability is irrelevant in the future. That's what the consumer wants. Was that a good enough answer for you? That was, a, that was one of those answers that left me speechless. I'm like, where can I sign the check? Where do I deposit it into? Yeah. Take my money. Take my money. <laughs> now, I just, now, with regards to um, being a trend specialist and a futurist, I'm sorry, you know, I'm like Ugandan. So for me, these terms are like, if I were to tell Ugandan. my dad I'm, I'm okay. Ugandan. Okay. So, so if I was to wow. tell my dad I'm going to be a trend specialist or a futurist, he would yeah. kind of look at me mm. and be like, you say what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, now, how would you, for, now, say for example, within the African market, because I know what generally happens globally or even from South Africa out, when people think of the continent, they think of one homogenous kind of people. This is what people want. This is what they need. You know, how do you ensure that you, you kind of get the right research, the right facts, and just kind of give through the right kind of trend, trend ana- analysis, sorry, I mean, different markets? So there's obviously broad trends and micro trends. Okay. And these mega trends is what I focus on. I have research teams that go in and do the micro trends. Oh, okay. But the whole world is split up into three markets. You have the mature awareness market, which I told you about now. 
These are the, the, they're called the mature awareness market. They're underpinned by a mega trend called guilt-free consumption. Mm. Wherever you are in the world, whether you're in Amsterdam, Berlin, San Francisco, pockets of trade time, the consumers are riding bicycles, growing their own vegetables, wearing normcore fashion, following a, brand, a, a trend called veganomics, <laughs> which they, is all about veganism, right? I've, I've tried that trend. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, so do I. Yeah. But if you go into the emerging cities and countries around the world, like Dubai, Beijing, Johannesburg, Nairobi, these markets are called emerging markets. And they are underpinned by a mega trend called conspicuous consumption. The consumers here are in need of hyper-recognition because just one generation ago, Dubai was a fishing village. Johannesburg was an apartheid city. And these new consumers need to show people that, look, just last generation, my father had a bicycle. Look at my BMW. Mm. And this is an emerging market. So you have the similar trends in Dubai, Beijing, Johannesburg, Kuala Lumpur. There's mega trends that affect these, these cities. And then you have the less affluent parts of the world, the slums in India, in Angola, in Cape Town, in Mexico. These, me- these mega trends that affect these consumers are value-driven consumption. They're always looking to stretch their dollar and their pound and their euro, whatever they're spending. Mm-hmm. And Monster Energy Drinks understands these consumers really well. Because what they kind of trying to allude to people is that if you spend 20 rand and drink this Monster Drinks today, you won't have to eat for the rest of the day. And if you see the less affluent people around the world are drinking Red Bull and Monster and these drinks, because one, it's a status symbol, but two, they don't have to eat for the rest of the day. They're stretching their dollar and pound and pula as far as they can. So there's mega trends and then there's micro trends. And then we go further into the micro trends. But these micro trends are always going to be based off the top of these mega trends. Sure. I actually like the way that you broke it down because I think it, you probably, I mean, now I understand why you get paid a whole lot of money. Um, but it, it totally makes sense, you know, cause I think more often than not, we try to, when people try to break trends down, it's broken down from region to region. But you've kind of, you know, as much as we are different in different parts of the world, depending on where we sit, we're so similar. We're yeah. so similar exactly. And that kind of simplifies it versus somebody saying, yeah. Oh, if I go to Angola, this is what they want. If I go to Nigeria, yeah. this is what they want. And if you do that, firstly, yeah. I think as a brand, and it just you're you're overstretching, you know, you're you're really yeah. overstretching. And then secondly, yeah. it, you know, just within that, there there is a lot of um, room for error. And I think that the world has changed more um, where it is based on your access, what what you have in life. If if that makes sense, you know, glo- globalization is real across yes. the board. You know, you go everywhere in the world, and everybody's hairstyles the same. Yeah. I, that's what I keep seeing. The shoes are everywhere. I'm in Paris, New York, London, Joburg, same shoes, yeah. same hairstyles, same jeans. So, you know, we've also broadened humanity's sort of need states. They've broadened into three major need states. People that are starting to make money, people that don't have money, and people that have money for a long time. Mm. That's it. That's kind of what it is. Sure. You just start treating it differently. Because after you've bought your six BMW, you're, you're like, okay, um, there must be something else to this because I'm mm. born. You know? Sure. Oh, that makes a lot I, of... But I've been there. You know, I used to live in Joburg, mm. and I was 100% emerging an emerging... Uh, um, human in emerging city. Mm. The, the armor I needed was my M3 around me, was muscles, was a very tight t-shirt and a very tight haircut. <laughs> because that's what Jaybird's about. Mm. Then you come to Cape Town and now I ride a bicycle and I'm a vegan and I've got long hair. And I've, it's, a, it's a totally different environment, you know? Mm. And sure. so your armor is different. 
Sure. I really like the way that you broke that. Literally, like I have not one light bulb, but like 20 light, bu- light bulbs going off. And I'm thinking yeah. that makes a whole lot more sense. You know, it's just a better way of kind of breaking down audiences, so to speak. Now, you are the yeah. first African member of the Singularity University faculty. Congratulations. Yes. I wish I had a... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, talk to us a bit about um, this faculty and the just the importance of you being the first African um, to be part of it. Well, you know, I mean, it's such a huge privilege and, and, and still pinch myself uh, because it's happened. Uh, I've always looked up to Peter Diamandis, one of the major sort of futurists in the world. Um, he's been a professor and he's, he's into so many different businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur. And him, together with a gentleman called Ray Kurzweil, heads up um, a part of the artificial intelligence program for Google and has written many books, one of them being the New York bestseller called Singularities Near where he's made predictions about how technology and humankind will join, morph, and become cyborgs, 86% of his predictions have become true. And so together, what they did 12 years ago was decide to put together a university that was going to teach people about the future. And if you think about what other universities do, they teach you about the past. And this is really another university that teaches about the future specifically. Mm. If you look at MBAs, if you look at Harvard, they take you to case studies, and that's the past. And then they say to you, okay, well, then, because you've understanding of all these case studies, then you can apply yourself to the future. Singularity says, no, no, no. We'll tell you exactly what's happening in the future and then help you get ready for it. So they have about 80 to 100 faculty members from around the world, everybody with sort of specialties. And what we do is we get deployed to different parts of the world, to different organizations, to different conferences, to share our speciality. And so my speciality is the cross-section of human psychology and future studies, mm-hmm. understanding the human behind the trends and understanding how the human needs to prepare, change their behavior, habits, and rituals in order to become ready for the future really is my deepest fascination. And this is what I write about, speak about, and research all the time. And so Singularity didn't have anybody with my sort of skill sets. And when I did go there for an uh, executive program, I also organized myself an interview and after speaking to them for a short while, they, um, they, they, yeah, they wanted me to be a faculty member, and uh, it was an absolute delight and a surprise uh, that it happened so quickly, and it's been phenomenal for my career. That's incredible. You know, I actually remember meeting you at the Liberty, um, the VUCA. VUCA. Yes, I mentioned VUCA. Oh, yeah. And okay. y- yes, and what I remember about you is that you had this, um, you had this energy, but also sort of a confidence in everything that it was that you were doing, you know. And, and I asked, I mentioned that because I think that that's something that a lot of young people in Africa currently have, you know. And you, at the beginning of this conversation, you said to me, um, you spoke about how the future belongs to those who dare to dream. I, I mean, I'm yeah, paraphrasing, you know. Yeah, 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 dream yeah, bigger. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so for you, mm-hmm. what, what is the biggest risk, um, <laughs> that you've ever taken, you know, and uh, because your life is obviously as a result of you dreaming bigger and being confident enough to step into the unknown pretty much. So, yeah, great question. And I want to just, just um, suggest a new word. It's not a risk. It's a, a, the courage to leap beyond my comfort zone. I like and that. I don't see that as a risk. Mm. I, I see it as me stepping up to the best version of myself. And mm. when you have a very clear understanding of what your potential is you build the courage and audacity to take that step and i think i'm always continuously pushing myself to develop further and learn more i've just come back from toronto on a seven-day intensive uh, workshop from a guy called dr joe dispenza Mm. he's a scientist and uh, 
the three New York Times bestsellers who were meditating eight hours a day, sure. really starting to change the dynamics of our brain. Mm. And then I'm moving to New York and I'm taking the leap to go and redefine and grow my brand on a global stage. And mm. I think it's a hell of a scary thing to want to start from scratch almost and having to build your brand again. But I want to be on stage with Simon Sinek and I want to be on stage with the world's best. And what I've got to do is go and play in the same arena and uh, mm. really chisel my, 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 uh, my skill so much more. So, yeah, I think the biggest challenge is the one that's about to happen for me is to, to reinvent okay. myself on the global stage. Mm. Yeah, and your story kind of reminds me of Trevor, uh, Trevor Noah, how he yeah. literally, you know, he was obviously doing really well in South Africa, as we know, and yeah. then he saved yeah. X amount of money, decided he was going to go to the States, and he had, but for him, he, he had kind of a time limit as to when he was going to, if it didn't work after run X, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> run out of money, exactly, yeah. you know. Do you think yeah. that there should ever be a time, li- time limit um, to no. d- do, okay, continue. And I tell you why. Yes, is time is a fictitious. It's fictitious. It's not real. Time's malleable. It's our understanding in this reality mm. that time is something. But if you think about time, when you when you're on your first date with the love of your life, that date that's four hours long goes past in thirty three seconds. When mm. you're sitting in a lecture that's taking forty five minutes, it feels like eighteen hours. And I believe that when you're always following your highest excitement, moving in a space of constant creativity, time actually is irrelevant because you're just in such a state, a flow state, that you just, I don't know, it's it's irrelevant to me, the time. So as long as I'm having fun, time becomes something that I'm floating through. Mm. And then if I'm not having fun, then obviously it becomes stagnant and and, and really tough and sludgy. Mm. So for me, no, time is not a thing for me is follow your highest excitement at every moment of every day, move forward with that being your rudder over anything else. And that really kind of leads you to your highest purpose and, and who you are. Now, um, just to, to switch gears a little bit um, with regards to the fourth industrial revolution, I actually tried to have the conversation with my dad and he just, well, he just kind of looked at me. <laughs> He's yeah. a medical doctor. For, so for him, he did not, it was just not part of his vocabulary at yeah. all, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, although he is, you know, fairly highly ed- educated. But I mean, for the, I guess I said all that to ask, um, where does Africa stand in general with regards to the fourth industrial revolution? And, and what's the best way to break down what exactly, what that means exactly? Okay, so firstly, we must understand that the third industrial revolution must take place before the fourth industrial revolution can. And everybody's talking about the fourth industrial revolution, but the actual infrastructure and basic framework that it needs to live on is the third industrial revolution. And what the third industrial revolution is, is changing the three pillars of capitalism. So capitalism since the 1750s has been defined by having an energy source, transportation source, and a communications source. That's what makes an economy move forward. And 1700s, it was coal, and then that coal brought railroads, steam-powered printers, and that really began the Industrial Revolution. Mm. Um, and um, uh, it, was the, it was coal, that was the energy source. Then we went to oil, combustion engine, and electricity in the second Industrial Revolution. In the third Industrial Revolution, we are still having those energy pillars, the transport pillars and communication pillars, but those, over the next 10 years, will become free. There'll be free communication for the whole globe. There'll be free energy for the whole globe. And there'll be free transportation for the whole globe. Now, this, mind, this makes the mind boggle because you think, no way. How can there be free transportation? Or how can there be free mm. energy? But if you think about it, you use WhatsApp. And what has WhatsApp done? It's mm. made everything free. And if mm. you had thought about WhatsApp 10 years ago, you would have never imagined. Imagine. Yes. The would start, stop charging you 3.80 a minute, and it will be absolutely free. Mm. And so 
you know, it, it's difficult for us to understand that. But over the next 10 years, that's what's going to happen. And then when that happens, think about what Africa will happen. Think about an eight-year-old girl's life in Malawi in a village who has access to information and free energy and free communication. What happens to her? She gets educated. Um, because of that education, she empowers herself. That empowerment changes her village because everybody in the village now has access to the same information that people do in America and Sweden. That education impacts her family, her village, her town, her country, and her continent. So I think it's never been better for us to be in Africa. It's never mm. been better to come from a poor background because now this access to information is going to change everything. Mm. All we require is a willingness to move out of the space we're in. And what I've seen from the Africans that I've met from sort of the hot spots of Africa doing well, they are hungry, mm. really hungry. And I love that because when I say hungry, I don't mean literally hungry. I mean hungry for growth and hungry for more and the entrepreneurial spirit is alive. And so I think we're going to be in for a fantastic surprise in how everything's going to uptake. Now, the fourth industrial revolution in very layman's terms is the convergence of the most um, ex- uh, exponentially growing technology forms uh, like blockchain, artificial intelligence, uh, biotech, um, cryptocurrencies, um, virtual reality, artificial uh, artificial augmented reality. Um, All of these, what you do, each one of them on their own are amazing, but when they converge on top of free communication, free energy and free free communication, free transport, what you're going to have is the fourth industrial revolution. And this is really going to start speeding up over the next 10 years. Because once we have those bases in place, mm. the rest is just going to be exponential. So the fourth industrial revolution, I reckon, in about 10 years, the third industrial revolution from now to about 10 years. Sure. And we're going to start it seeing really pick up. So it's never been better to be African. Definitely. And you said, just um, before we let you go, you spoke a little bit about uh, a lot of people around the continent that you've met who are hungry. Um, you know, yeah. So in terms of disruptors, are there any African disruptors that you've met or you know, where do we sit where that is concerned? So, I, you know, I, I, I was at the Forbes 30 Under 30 mm. uh, conference. I was keynoting there and I watched uh, the, hot, the hot shots, the 30 Under 30s from Africa. Mm. And, you know, they're into communication, they're into energy, they're into education, they're into food, they're into distribution. There's a lot of people doing some very, very exciting things. And I'm so impressed and so proud uh, Mm. to watch these kids come from very poor backgrounds, you know, and really push themselves. And look, I mean, they were standing with KP suits in Johannesburg, being flown in by Forbes. I mean, how big and how bold is that? Mm. Sort of dreaming. It's so awesome. Mm. But... Unfortunately, you know, we only get 0.5% of the global VC funding. And Mm. so we've got a lot of work to do to build up. And I think ultimately South Africa has been in survival mode for so long that we are still in survival mode to a certain extent. And if you go into these tech hubs around the world, they're in such a different state of mind. They're not desperate for survival. They're totally comfortable and just thriving into another sort of world. So we still have some time and space to go to get emotionally fit to really start playing on that, on that global level. And I think it's going to happen. It's just going to be a little bit longer than, uh, than it's happened uh, overseas, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited at the potential, but I think we're about 10 years out until we start seeing some real magic happen. Okay. John, thank you so much for spending time with us. Before we let you go, when, when you think of the term Africa state of mind, what's, what ideas flow through your brain? Um. You know, Africa is so varied. It's so difficult because if I look at 30, the Forbes 30 under 30, I'm so excited. Mm. And then I also look at some leadership in the, in the continent that's so immature. 
So we've got a, you know, we've got a process to go. And so I'm both excited and I'm exhilarated at the potential, but I also think about some hard work that we need to be doing. Okay. Thank you very much, John. Enjoy the rest of your day. And best of luck with your new endeavor. And I'm very sure that you're going to exceed your expectation. Thank you so much. That's a wonderful wish. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.